So I am so excited to speak today. Um, the last time I, was, I spoke to you guys, uh, we talked on, it was Matthew 5, the Beatitude of, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so, today, we're going to dive a little deeper into the righteousness aspect of that sermon. Um, we touched on it a little bit, on uh, the four characteristics, of the four, um, the four pieces of evidence that Jesus points out. Um, for those who live an exceedingly righteous life. Um, and I am not going to lie to you, this was the toughest sermon I've ever had to prepare for, CJ and I. We were at a point where we're, we're praying and we're fasting and we're, we're trying to cr- just have clarity from God with the message He wants to, to give our church. And we were sitting in the same room, we're looking at each other and we're like, this is it, but we, we had that, we had like writer's block, if you will, sermon block, that's what we had. And so we're, we're like, man... And it came to a point where we're just confessing the sins of our life with each other and just getting it all on the table. I mean, and it's not like, CJ, I said a bad word. Um, will you forgive me? Will you, will you ask God to forgive me? You know, it wasn't one of those. It was like intense, like repentance. And I tell you what, like it was the most amazing thing. Like the weight in the rooms lifted up and just extraordinary extraordinarily clear message of what this looks like for us as a church. And so we saw last uh, few weeks ago, um, we're talking about, you know, Pharisees, and I basically called everyone in here a Pharisee, including myself. Um, But there's a duplicity of life that we seem to live by at times where we do the right things, we come to church, we we all can check the box today for everyone who's here. Uh, We go to church, but then we live a double life of, you know, hidden sin um, and that's exactly what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees liked to blur the lines and, and live by the law, but yet not be fulfilled with the fullness of what the law is. They would blur the lines of saying, well, you know, I'm not committing adultery, you know, I'm not cheating on my wife, but I'm lustfully looking at another woman, but I'm not, I'm not crossing the line, right? Well, they blur the lines. They say, well, well, hold on. Jesus says very clearly in the next few verses below, uh, talking about lust, like if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've, you have committed adultery in your heart. So it's like, okay, do we do this? Do we live this duplicity of a lifestyle where we, we, we say one thing, but we try to push it as far as we can go without actually breaking the law? And, I, and, and for myself, like, I am so convicted because it's like, man, I do this all the time. I, I, I struggle with all these things, and, and I try to justify my actions and say I'm not doing something, but in reality, my heart is extremely sinful towards you know, certain aspects of my life. And so I'm going to take the time today, and I'm going to take the risk of, being transparent with you about some things going on in my life, but also be able to bring, most importantly, this message we get in Matthew. Um, so if we have our first slide going in the Scriptures, if you have your Bibles, um, which I hope you do, um, bring out your Bibles and open up to Matthew 5. Uh, we got, we're in verse 17, I believe. I'll give you a second to get there. Okay, we all there? All right. We see that Christ came to fulfill the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments 
will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, church, friends, family, this is the second scariest verse in the Bible to me, in my opinion. The first scariest verse is in Matthew where he's talking about, where Jesus is talking about, if you cannot forgive your brother or sister, your father in heaven will not forgive you. And that is the scariest verse because how much unforgiveness is in my heart, you know, it frightens the, the tarnations out of me. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, there's all these people in my life that I can't forgive. I know I want to forgive them. My heart wants to be pure, but I can't forgive. So if I can't forgive, my Father in Heaven's not going to forgive me. First scary one. Second scary one is this one. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Holy smokes. That's pretty clear. But what does this righteousness look like? And so we go into, we, we go into this, and, and CJ and I are kind of like brainstorming. We're like, all right, how do we, how do we articulate this clearly? Um, to the church and we see that Jesus came to give us a righteousness that works its way all the way down to our hearts so that way it ushers in faith and love and pureness and holiness and so when we see this righteousness that's supposed to give us our faith and love purity and holiness how okay that's what it's supposed to do Jesus came for this righteousness okay how do I get it you know how do I get this righteousness because if one who, uh, one who deems himself righteous on their own terms is indeed self-righteous but those who are righteous through faith in Christ, that is the righteousness that we are called to live by. So, there's four pieces of evidence for those who live an exceedingly righteous life. And if you have uh, something to write with in notes, I highly encourage you to write this down. I mean, this is something that we should just meditate on and, and, uh, and honestly assess our lifestyles based off of these attitudes, these desires, ambitions, and relationships we're going to talk about here. So there's four things it's our attitudes. This is the framework of the evidence of an exceedingly righteous life. And it starts with our attitudes. Secondly, it's our desires and our ambitions and our relationships. But right now, I want to take some time and I want to talk about these attitudes. So when we opened up, we talked about how the Pharisees, they had the attitude of blurring the lines. You know, they had the self-righteousness of, I know the law, I live by the law. And it's funny, we read Paul. Paul's talking about, um, in, it's in uh, Philippians, he's talking about how we have... He, people have all this, you know, right to boast about their righteousness. And Paul's like, if you think you have the right to boast about this, I have more. I have more reasons to say that I am more righteous than you because I was once the person who, you know, killed Christians for who they were, but I lived by the law. I lived according to the law. I was a Pharisee. I have more reasons to boast. But then he says, all is lost. We're going to talk about that at the end. All is, all is lost for the sake of Christ and I'm everything to gain in him. Because none of that stuff before even matters. So Christ is the elemental aspect of our attitudes. So we talked about the duplicity of life, you know, living that double standard of a lifestyle and, and the entitlement that we live by in, in this culture we have by what, however much money we make. Um, we're comfortable in the position we sit because of where we are. Like we have families. We have all that. We have like the perfect life. You know, we, we, we see the, the American dream as the ideal way to live. You know, perfect house, perfect family, but reality is, is if you really get inside that family, it's, you see all the broken pieces to it, and it's like, okay, how do we get real? How do we solve these internal issues? And so, um, Pharisees were really good at this. This is the American dream style. This is the, this is the way the Pharisees lived. You know? They looked awesome on the outside, but internally, it was a mess. And so, 
how do we identify this? And, and I really believe it's the humility of lifestyle you choose to live. The more humble you can be and the more honest you can be about the lifestyle you have and about the sins that we have and of the community of believers that you're in or non-believers, the community you surround yourself with will reflect the inward of who you are. And so these are the attitudes we see. So if we have a good attitude about you know, life, if it's the American dream, okay, that's good, but how do we get the great? How do we, how do we get this great element into our brain, into our hearts that takes us to the next level? Because the word exceed, exceedingly righteous, Exceed means to do, but more than just to do. It's not just do this, but exceed. Do greater than the Pharisees. Jesus said, have a righteousness that is even greater than what the Pharisees lived by. The Pharisees lived by the law perfectly. They did everything they were supposed to do, but they, they started blurring the lines. Blurring the lines is not exceeding. Blurring the lines is comfortable complacency. It's comfortable complacency. So how do we exceed these, these blurred lines? How do we get these clear-cut lines? And, and Jesus is so awesome. Like, he spells it out for us, like, so great in the Beatitudes. Unless you're at the end of your rope, unless you are at the complete stage of surrender, you cannot exceed. You live your life by what you think is good and not the life that Jesus says, this is great, and here's how you get there. And he maps it out for us. It's like, dang, thanks. It's like, oh, then you have to figure that one out. It's right here, you know? And so this moves us in all these things. We start from attitudes. We move into desires. They fuel into each other. So your attitudes are going to fuel your desires. If you have the attitude of, well, I live by the law, I am, I am self-righteous, and I, we don't ever claim that we're self-righteous, but for us, for ourselves, we can see our self-righteousness. You see that your attitude is going to fuel your desire. And so I want to distinguish the two, the two middle pieces of this. We have desires and then ambitions, and they're very different. A desire is something we long for. Right? We read in Scripture, you know, the, if, well, the things that you desire, you know, it's in your heart. You can see the things that you desire within your heart. And if you have good desires, good intentions, the Lord will give them to you if it is in Christ. But if it is not in Christ and it's of good intentions according to the world's standards, it is nothing but rubbish. Moss will destroy. So these desires we have in our lives, it's what we long for. What do we really long for? You know, are we a people who long to pray? We long to fast. We long to give. Jesus has these three behaviors he makes very known in Scripture. And, and these behaviors are praying, fasting, and giving. But we have a really hard time talking about them in church. I have a hard time saying the word giving up here. Like giving, giving, giving. Like you've got to give, you've got to give. But I, I, I mean, you've got to fast. But I really think that many people that I know, including myself, I don't fully understand fasting. I don't fully understand giving. But as I study scripture and I study what Jesus says about fasting, giving, and praying, we see that he gives these examples to us to have a litmus test of where we really are in our relationship with Christ. And really where our hearts are with what we desire. If we desire everything the world can give us and we're longing for things that the world produces... Where, where, is room, where is the room for Jesus? Where is the room for the Holy Spirit to lead and direct us? And so I see that in Scripture, Jesus says, you know, you gotta, if you want clarity from the Lord, we see James 1.5, you know, if you need wisdom, God is a generous God. He will give you the wisdom you need. Understanding, humbling yourself to say, I'm dumb. That's the problem. We're dumb. 
Like, we don't have the wisdom and knowledge. You know, our, our greatest thought is God's least and weakest thought. You know, his, weak, his weakest thought is our greatest thought. Are you kidding me? It's even greater than what we can think of. So we are not a wise people without Christ, without God's Word, without God's Holy Spirit leading and directing us. And so we have this idea of, hey, let's pray. Let's have a concern for myself. Let's have a concern for my salvation. Let's have a concern for my family. Let's have a concern for my church. Let's pray and, and give it to God. Leave it at the throne and be concerned about it and make it important to have a solid, lasting, diligent, and obedient prayer life. Fast for clarity. Fast for God's wisdom. We don't need the food of this world to satisfy the hunger we have that the earth has for us. But what is our hunger for? Are we hungry and thirsting for righteousness? Are we hungry and thirsting for truth? Are we going to just have it be a people that's just spiritually fat? Or we just come to church and, and get a good message that makes me feel really happy? You know, CJ was talking about people are coming up to him about the stuff we're talking about lately, and he's like, yeah, people are upset because, like, you know, we're, we're, we're giving messages that are not so happy. It's like, really? Like, people are complaining about that? I'm glad I've got your phone, like... My phone doesn't answer and get, get rung up at all. It's just you know, partially because nobody knows that. But so, but like people are upset because we're we're not giving happy-go-lucky messages. But it's like, is that what Christ came to do? Were the Pharisees happy about Jesus being there? That's the question we gotta ask ourselves. That tells you everything you need. You're upset because the truth is being spoken about our own sinful lives, and we don't like that. But do we pray about? the struggles we have? Do we pray about the needs we have? Because God makes it very clear in, in, in 2 Corinthians, you know, we talk about giving. This is like the hardest thing for me to speak on because we as, as people and humans, we try to seek the approval of man. You know, we're trying to impre- impress our boss. We're trying to do the next best thing to make ourselves look good and seeking the approval of man, yet we don't bring it before God. And, and giving is one of those things where it's like, I don't want to talk about giving because I don't want everyone in this room to be like, oh, all I do is talk about giving my money to the church. Like, no, I honestly don't care. Like, that's not, I do care, and I care because giving has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has everything to do with the condition of your heart. If you're not giving, I'm so concerned about your heart. I could care less about the money. I don't, I don't have anything to do with that. But I really do care about your heart. Because Jesus says the litmus test of all these things, these three things, these behaviors of you know, spiritual disciplines of praying, fasting, and giving. In 2 Corinthians, if you flip with me to 2 Corinthians 9, or 6, one of the two. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. And we're talking about a cheerful giver. And I think partially the giving piece of church, you know, it's hard to talk about because people interpret it the wrong way. And until we take it to Scripture and understand what this really looks like, you, I, myself, and this is where I'm talking about risking transparency, you know, I'm going to be honest, like, my giving has been awful. Awful. Now, there's no way that I'm going to justify my actions of giving for, you know, student loan debt, which is unreal, um, you know, all these bills I have in my life, and say, I've got all this stuff I've got to take care of. I have hardly enough food or hardly enough money to, to feed myself. But it's like, hold on a second. Has not God provided this whole time for you? When you're in college and you have no money, didn't he feed you? Yes, he did. So what am I so worried about? And so I'm reading this, this text here today of the cheerful giver, and I'm like, holy smokes. This has nothing to do with me being selfish with my money. This has everything to do with my selfishness of my own spiritual bankruptcy. 
And so we read in, in verse 6 here, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I'm not talking about increase the har- increasing the righteousness, or I'm sorry, increasing your ability to gain what you give. You don't gain what you give in money. You don't gain that all back tenfold. You could. God can very well do that. But it's talking about your righteousness is gaining even more. So we read that your harvest your, is going to increase in your righteousness when you give. You will be enriched in every way and be generous in every way, which though us will produce thanksgiving, which through us it will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also the overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of their submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because that surpassing grace of God is upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Giving is an overflow. is an overflow of your purity. is an overflow of your love. is an overflow of your peacemaking abilities. These are the fruits of an obedient follower of Christ. See, I, someone was talking to me earlier this week. I think it was Pastor Keith about someone who passed away. Uh, I don't think it was. It was somebody else. But it was somebody who passed away, and there was all these people saying these amazing things about this man who passed away. How great of a person he was. And all these awesome fruits that he... You see all the fruits of his ministry and all these people that are there speaking so highly of him. And the one thing that was said about him was that he wasn't just a good man. He was an obedient follower. At the end of my life, if somebody is speaking at my funeral and they say he was an obedient follower of Christ, that is one of the greatest things that you could ever say. Am I an obedient follower? Because if I'm, a, if I'm an obedient follower, my prayer life is dedicated. You know, I am committed to the Lord. I will pray for others. I will pray for my family. I will pray for my church. I will pray for my pastors. I will pray for these people in my life. I will pray for those who don't even know Christ unreached peoples. I will fast for clarity. I will fast for dependency upon the Lord. I will fast because I have nothing in my abilities to make my life so perfect where I get to salvation on my own. I must fast for clarity in Christ, clarity of who I am in Christ. And I must be a giver. I must give what the Lord has blessed me with because if I know that if I'm not giving, you know, I am completely concerned about my well-being individually and that is the epitome of a a Pharisee and a self-righteous person because God is the giver of all things do we make time for God do we give for God does our hearts are our hearts convicted because we don't obey the way we should and so 
when you do these things, when you pray and you fast and you give, this isn't something that is supposed to highlight your spirituality. That's important. It's not to say, oh, look at me, I'm such a good Christian. I pray, I fast, and I, and I do all these things, and I give money to the church, and I'm very philanthropic. Awesome. Good for you. Like, that is also the epitome of a self-righteous person. Do you really care about who you are? Do you care about who your kids become? Do you care about the people in this community, about who they are walking in line with? Because you see, these desires we long for, the things that we, we set up in our life and we make important, you know, the way we act and the way we things we strive after fuel everything we do. So it starts with our attitudes, fuels into our desires, and that leads us into our ambitions. And our ambitions, we define desires as something we long for, and our ambitions are something that we are determined to do. See, there's a difference between desire and ambition. Some people would say it was the same. When I first started studying this, I was like, yeah, what are the, what's the difference between a desire and ambition? It's like the same thing, right? The second definition, that's what it says. It's like ambition. It's like to desire, but okay. The first one says that it's determination or hard work, something you work hard towards. So if your desire is to get you know, a brand new house and you're going to do whatever it takes, you're going to take hard work, you're going to get four jobs, you're going to do all these things, you are focused primarily on the house. What is your ambitions for? Are you anxious about what you have? Because in Matthew 6 we read, do not be anxious about what you do and don't have, Seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. If your desire is to be a prayerful, obedient follower, a fasting, obedient follower, a giving, obedient follower of Christ, let me tell you what, your ambitions have nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the gospel and the advancement of the gospel in your family, in your workplace, in your community you live in. And so... Your ambitions are the things you are willing to do anything for. You are willing to die for something, somebody, a cause. If that cause is the gospel, what a way to go out. You know, my grandpa was telling me yesterday, I had a chance to you know, get together with him, which was awesome. Um, him and my grandma came up to, to come see because my grandma loves the British Tea Pantry. And he's sharing, me, sharing with me a story about one of, my, one of my relatives who was so obedient and so like faithful and going to church and she would sit in the front pew and she like she, her goal was to die in church she's like I want to die in church please nobody die in church because I just tell them like I would freak out I'd be like what the Holy Spirit's here like for sure like I don't care if you're not the Holy Spirit is you know um, but he's talking about how one of my aunts my great aunts she wanted to die in church and one day like during the service she just popped over and killed over and died and I was just like holy smokes can you imagine that like, oh my goodness. Like, so her desire and longing for was nothing but God. Her ambitions were extremely, it was to work hard and be faithful and be obedient in her, in her walk. And she worried about nothing. And she was so obedient to where she was like oozing Jesus upon everyone she, she walked in line with. And so this fuels into our relationships now, okay? We see our attitudes fuel our desires, our desires fuel our ambitions, and our ambitions fuel our relationships. We need each other in order to love one another and hold each other accountable. We need to season each other with love, grace, and humility as a body. The isolated life is the most lonely life because I've lived it. I've lived that double life of where I show up and go to a fellowship of Christian athletes, huddle, and then go home and I'm doing all these ridiculous things with my friends and blowing stuff up. Like, 
I mean, everything. You know, imagine the worst, and that's what I've done. And so I'm living this duplicity of a lifestyle, but the relationships I'm building, I'm building them with people who have no idea who Christ is. They're leading me down these dark paths, and I'm dumb enough to follow. And you see that none of these people I'm surrounding myself with really truly care about me. They, never, they, they don't really love me. And then I find myself growing up a little bit more in my faith and becoming a little bit more obedient. I'm not going to say a ton, but becoming a little more obedient, I, say, I see myself getting surrounded by all these people who love me. They're showing me grace. They're showing me mercy. I confess my sins to one of like, the, the president of LCM, confessing my sins to him in fear of losing my job. And what does he do? I'm like, oh man, this is bad. And he extends his hand and, and hugs me and shows me grace and mercy. And that grace and mercy is the mercy that he's been shown throughout his life. That same grace and mercy that God our Father gives, gives on us and openly shows me the love of God and it is the glory of God reigning through that room showing me who God is. And I'm like, wow, I'm not fired and I'm not leaving. And holy smokes, this is God's grace. Blessed are those who are merciful for they have been shown mercy. Wow, that makes sense. I have been shown mercy. And now I see myself talking to students who screw up all the time. And they're like, wait, you're not mad? No, I'm not mad. I love you. Like, I want to see you grow. I want, to, I, want to, I want to teach you an upright way to walk that Christ has shown me, that has helped me in this struggle and in this battle and in this area of my life. We need each other to season each other with love, grace, and humility. And so what are, what are we doing with our lives? What are we doing as, as believers? What are we doing as this church you know, I mean, this, this, whole, this, this whole idea of, you know, evidence of an exceedingly righteous life. I asked you to write some of this stuff down because later today I want you to, hopefully you, you take some time to go back over these notes and kind of like refresh your mind of like, okay, attitude. What does my attitude look like? Am I, am, am I following the rules and then, you know, making exceptions for things? Am I desiring for worldly things, worldly possessions, worldly gain, a, a position somewhere, or whatever it may be? What am I working hard for? What, what am I working hard for? Am I working hard to be a slave at my job? Or am I working hard at becoming who I am in Christ? That way, there's no anxiety about my job because God will lead me and direct me and guide me because I'm attuned to the Holy Spirit because I'm a praying, fasting, and a giving, obedient follower of Christ. Because the reward is so great for those who obey. And so hearing the story about the man who, who lived this life of obedience, who lived this life of, man, I love this man because he was the exact example that Christ tells us to be, a mimicker, a mimicker of him. I want to be like that. I want to be an obedient follower. So we need one another in our relationships too. And you see the fruits of your relationships you know, you see the fruit of your inward reflecting in the outward of your community. You want to see who is a good leader and a good, a good, a person who is in a leadership position, and you want to know if they're doing an effective job. Look at the people who's following them. And I read that in a book by uh, Chuck Swindle, um, and I was like, man, that is profound. That is so profound. Who is following the leader? If you want to see the effectiveness of your ministry, you'll look at look at the people in the crowd who's following, because the fruit of your ministry is within those who follow. And so, uh, as we close, I want to invite the, uh, the worship team to come back up. Um, and I, I just want to, I, I really, the whole, the whole purpose of today 
And for me, like, I, I, I want to be a person who doesn't just come up here and preach a message that makes you feel so good about yourself, but I really want to challenge each and every one of you to really see the truth of what God is trying to teach us and to be humble enough to receive it. Because we see that these characteristics of an exceedingly righteous life, yeah, these are characteristics of one thing. And that one thing is God has given you a new heart. That is a gift that God extends to us when we are willing to submit and be at that point of absolute surrender of everything in your life, willing to lose all things. And so we see that in Scripture that God says He wants to redeem our lives. He wants to redeem our very being. And so if we want to live out this exceedingly righteous life, it's so scary because it says you will not make it into the kingdom of heaven if you do not live in a way that exceeds the righteousness of the, of the Pharisees and the, and the prophets that who, who spoke so highly of the word but didn't really live it out the way Christ has called us to live it out. So exceedingly righteous people, you will exceed the righteousness of the, of the Pharisees when God gives you a new heart. It's like white elephant, you know? You go, you bring in a bad gift, people open it up, right? What do you do with that gift? You take it, you store it in storage, and then you wrap it up, and then you put it back in for the next year, right? It's a bad gift. And God wants to give us a, a gift of a new heart. But it's really hard to receive a gift and put it to use when you really don't want it to begin with. And so when we look at the attitudes, desires, ambitions, and the relationships of our life, are they that of the Pharisees? Because that doesn't add up to the righteousness that we're called to live out by. We're given that righteousness through Christ and Him alone. You know, because our faith is justified. Christ has risen. He's alive. And he has come to give us a righteousness that exceeds. And so my convictions of this message and, and of my life you know, this is the truth of Christ. This is the truth of the gospel. Am I convicted? How do I submit once I'm convicted? How do I surrender? Let go. Let go. Give it to God. Let Him take the reins. Because He wants to give you a gift that's far greater than anything that we can ever gain in this world. Any car we get, any house we get, any anything. Our kids being successful, you know. So let the old lead the young. You know, we read the story in Matthew, um, I'm sorry, in John, about the woman who was caught in adultery. You know, she's caught in adultery and the Pharisees are like, oh, look, look what she did. And Jesus looks at him and starts drawing in the sand by interpretation of my own. And CJ and I were talking about this. We're like, you know, he's probably writing down you know, what they've done in their life. And you see that back then, the old began to lead away first. So when Jesus is writing in the sand, cast, go ahead and cast the first stone for one of you who have not sinned. And then the old begin to lead out first, and then the young follow. Are we leading? We see the truth. We don't have to be Pharisees. We can have a new heart that walks uprightly, that relies on grace, that relies on God's mercy and recognizes that we need to submit. Submit and obey. Abide and obey. 
in His so awesome written Word that we can read and we can hear. This message was very convicting for me and I hope and I pray that you know, it speaks to your heart of what the truth of God's Word says about living a life that is exceedingly righteous. And I hope that we can take this and, and grow as a community and grow in our individual relationships with Christ so that we may lead those who are young and leave a legacy that is not of our own and of our own worldliness, but a, a legacy that is of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, we humbly bow before you and submit to your word, submit to your righteousness, have, and place our faith. Lord, I just pray that we can just have a strengthening faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and believe what he has done is true. Because if we really do believe that it's true, God, all of these words that we read about righteousness is given to us through faith in him alone. Father, I pray for our church, and I pray that we can be a people who have an extraordinary strength. That when people who are unbelievers see us, they look at us and question how are they so strong? How are they so obedient? Father, strengthen us. Father, I pray that we can just see who you are and see the importance of our relationship with your son. Father, may we live an exceedingly righteous life. May we live according to your will, submitting to everything you've asked us to do because they are good. Jesus came to fulfill this law that is meant for good. May we see that it is good and everything we need to satisfy the hunger that we have. May we hunger and thirst for your righteousness because that will sustain us forever. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for what he's done and doing in and through us. May we go today, Lord, praising you for who you are and the gracious gift that you're wanting to give us a new heart. We thank you and we pray this in your son's name.